Hey there, podcast listener. Welcome to Talking Wealth, the show where each and every week, the Wealth Within team are on hand to teach you how to become a more confident, competent, and more importantly, profitable trader and investor. For more information, products, services, and detailed show notes, including a transcript for this podcast, head over to wealthwithin.com.au and click on the News and Media tab in the navigation. Hello and welcome to Talking Wealth. I'm Dale Gillen, the Chief Analyst here at Wealth Within. And today I want to talk a bit about an article that was, um, I've got emailed a link to from somebody, I can't remember who it was, but just say, hey, this is an interesting article. It was in a an online type of newsletter called, I believe it, Money and Finance News, something like that. And it, it came out um, I don't know, like five or six days ago and it was titled, the chart that says it's time to party like it's 1929. Nice a title, actually. And for the most part, I actually agree with the article. I think it's a very, very good article. It's talking about valuation or asset prices and quoting research um, from a, a company in the US, Robert Schiller, who's an economist um, and Yale University. Now, it's talking about PE ratios, etc., and how that the, the, the US is... Um, basically overvalued at the moment. Now, I know, you know, we're getting a lot of people on the phone at the moment saying, wow, you know, all the experts says the market's too hot, that it's going to crash, it's going to this, it's going to that. And and every time I start hearing stories like that, I go, great, it's time to buy. I keep con- constantly keep thinking the opposite simply because it, it really is like that in terms of, I know Buffett has a famous statement, you know, you know, buying doom selling boom and um all that contrarian view and and nearly all the time when i hear a collective voice saying x is coming out of the the experts or people are are worrying about the market then i know it can't crash because if everybody's um, scared of the market then they've already sold it's as simple as that it's you know when every so when everybody uh, is really fearful that the market can't go any higher um, then the market's going to come. It, it's it's just one of those contrarian views. You just don't. To me, it's constantly. Uh, what is constant is the media keep putting out information that's contrary to what investors should be doing. I think that's probably a better way for me to to actually say it. So um, he says in the article, there's a gentleman I think called Rob Burgess, and as I said, I, I like the article. It's a great, really very well written article. On it, but there's a couple of things that I would like to add to it. And there's a couple of things that I would like to not question. Well, I suppose question um, the logic of it, but that's okay. We're all got our own opinions, and we're allowed to do that. But in his article, it says you know investors around the world are in a kind of limbo at present, and I'm seeing that. I'm seeing that all the time. A lot of people fail to make decisions about investments because they're scared of something. And in the end of the day, you need to be doing something. And people are always saying, "Oh, look, you know, I'll wait till the market's better. I'll wait till this, or I'll wait till that." Or, you know, it's never a good time to get educated, and it's never a good time to get a, you know, to have a baby. There's never a good time to go over on a holiday. There's, it's, it's just constant. People put off doing today what they know they need to be doing, so they can do tomorrow what they know what they want to be doing. And most people really do put it all off. And he's saying investors are in a kind of limbo because they know how stock markets and other asset classes are overvalued, um, and nobody seems to know what to do about it now. Um, Whilst that might be true in terms of, 
traditionally that's what this report's saying from um, the, the Shuller people in at Yale University that markets overvalue. But I don't think investors actually. I mean, there is a lot of lot, definitely a lot of investors in limbo. But I don't think they know that the stock markets are overvalued. I think there are a lot of people that think they know they're overvalued, or they believe it's overvalued based on some of the facts in here. But uh, the average investor I talk to. Um, I won't say it's not that savvy. It's probably, you know, they, if you read the ASX shareholder survey every, you know, I think it comes out every two or four years, I can't remember, but it constantly says people get their information from newspapers, friends, and taxi drivers. Um, he goes on to say, valuation method used by US economist Robert Schiller that compares the prices of shares with dividends paid on those shares, or the price-to-earnings ratio, or P-E ratio, and we, we do teach people about the P-E ratio, but it's probably the least ratio I use as a trader um, and I'll explain why uh, probably in a little while and this is one of the this is one of the most common metrics used to analyze shares and um, and it really is the industry use P ratios all the time to analyze shares now he goes on to say sorry for me shuffling some bits of paper but uh, he says uh, all the article quotes a graph um, from Schiller um, and it says the index is averaged meaning that the S&P 500 in the US not the Australian market, has in, have as has averaged 17.4 for their PA since the end of World War One, but currently sits at a touch under 31. So in, in theory, you know, normally normal is 17.4, right now 31, which is a whisker just under what the figure hit on the eve of the 1929 stock market crash that kicked off the Great Depression. A couple of things I have a problem with is that it's Whilst there's a lot, a lot of correlation between 1929 and 2007, the GFC, there's a huge amount of correlation um, in terms of what was going on at the time and all sorts of other things. I don't think there's a correlation now other than that PE um, being around the same level. That's the only correlation. The rest of it, I don't think there's a correlation, and and that's why I don't think that there's going to be any huge, big market crash. Um, from that point of view. Um, but, but as I said, he's saying it's a whisker under that crash uh, that kicked off the Great Depression. I don't think we're there at this point in time. Um, I won't read his, his old article, but um, he goes on to say investors would normally be getting nervous at a price-to-earnings ratio of 31. Um, but um, also, so, but they're not really worried at all. Um, and they're not dumping their stocks. And I think what he means by investors is, is the big end of town at the end in terms of the big financial institutions, not necessarily mums and dads, but again, um, uh, that's why I'm taking the way he's um, writing this. He goes on to talk about another argument against panicking is the CAPE index. And, and the CAPE index is something that Schiller's team put together and it's um, he basically called cyclical adjusted price earnings. So, you know, shown it's basically taking in all sorts of other um, factors into it, like such as inflation and, and movements in the business cycle. So, um, and he uses the ten-year average of company earnings to calculate its price-to-earnings ratio, and, and he says a good chunk of the past ten years, during the worst part of the global financial crisis, saw earnings tank. And what that really means, or what he's saying, is, is as those years drop off, that CAPE index will change to be more normal. Um, and that's a very, very valid point, and I totally agree with that. Happens a lot with um, managed funds returns. You know, if they have a couple of bad years um, and it affects their their five and seven year returns, or sorry, sorry, when they have a couple of bad years, it affects their short term returns. So quite often they'll quote longer returns with bigger numbers in them. And once those shorter years drop off, they start creating, they start 
um, promoting longer term returns. So you've got to watch those sorts of things. If a fund's actually promoting longer re- uh, longer returns, then it, its short term return may not be great. But if it's quoting really good short term returns, the longer term returns may not be that great. Um, he also goes on to say, let's not forget that during the irrational period, period of exuberance known as the dot com bubble, things got far crazier. The the Capi index was brushing forty four before the market imploded in early two thousand. Um, and so looking at that, if I'm looking at the chart of uh, all this cap E, which is, as I said, adjusted for with the AS, uh, sorry, the ASX, I'm going to say the S&P 500 in the US, looking at the chart of that, it's just a basic line chart going back to, uh, looks like 1923. And, and in that 1929, it was around that 31, and it's getting pretty close to where that is right now, as, as the article actually goes on to say. And in 1931, like the 1929 crash, where the US market didn't bottom out till 1931. Most people don't understand that. The 1929 crash was pretty much one or two days, but it had been falling before that, and a lot of people don't realize that. But after 31 in the recession, so 1931 in the recession, up to 19, sort of 35, 36, that uh, cap E went from around about five up to around about 22, 23 during a depression. Interesting. Um, there's a f- couple of other things that I've noticed as well. Looking at if, looking at periods of time, the Australian share market fell from sort of 71 to 74, uh, and that was the largest pullback the Australian share market's ever be- seen. Um, in terms of it fell over 60% in that time. Now, it wasn't a crash. It was a pullback over two, three years in that particular time. So looking at the, this CAPE chart in from the US market point of view, obviously, from 1970, it was just over that average of 17 or around that 17, 18 point, which is where they're saying is average. And into 74, it dropped right down to... Um, what that about seven, six, seven, eight into that period of time. And the Australian market pulled back during that time. So that's a nice, interesting point. So it was indicating that if it was up at that level, if that's average, our market was falling away during that period and same with the CAFE. Now between 81, here's the interesting thing, between 81 and 99, that same index went from around about seven right up to just under 45 in 1999. So 81 to 1999, 18 years, including, and that was the 87 crash. Now here's the kicker. During 1987, or sorry, the peak, the peak of 87, what we're looking at is the high of this chart, uh, this CAPE chart, was just, oh, it was over 17, about 17 and a half, 18. Um, and it only dropped down to, uh, well, it was just probably about 14. So it didn't drop too much in the 87 crash and then immediately took off again right up through to 1999, as I mentioned, up to nearly 45. Now, let's go into the, the GFC. At the height of the GFC, it was sitting at around about 27 um, in 2007 and fell down to 15 roughly. So it didn't fall much below its long-term average, and obviously since then uh, it's moved right up to where it's been talking about now, around about 31. So to me, it's while there's some correlation there, I mean, the move from 1999, I remember the move from 1999 was around 40, just under 45, and it moved down to about, where's this line here, about 21, 22 in 2003. So from 99 to 2003, we did our market did have a low in 2003, and so did the US market. Ours was 
Um, we fell from about January, about 2001 down into 2003 low and then took off from there. So in the big long bull market, the longest bull market we've ever had in history from that 2003 low to the 2007 high, it went from about 21, 22, which is above average, right up to around about 27 and it just stayed there pretty much for a couple of years till 2007 roughly around that um, as i said then it came down into roughly i think 2009 at just about 14 and now it's back up it's doubled in price uh, doubled up to about 31 from there so whilst the the statistics are great and they really do give us an idea of what's happening in the marketplace i think you can't just take them in isolation, and not that this gentleman's done that, I, I don't suggest he's done that at all, but I think we need to look at it in a little bit more context in terms of what's happening in our market, because all too often I find people say, we just follow the US market, and that's not necessarily correct. It's not 100% correct. I think the correlation between our market and the US market is more like about 60%. It's not 100% of the time that we're doing what they're doing. We quite often are doing and something different like we're rising while they're falling and you only need to overlay the US market onto an Aussie market so the All Lords onto the Dow onto the All Lords or the S&P 500 on the All Lords and you'll see it stick out like a proverbial thumb there are times when we do go with them like 1929 like in the GFC but there are lots of times where we're not making lows when when they are. So one thing that I will disagree with the gentleman on um, in this article, he just before he finishes off the article, he actually says, um, in general, younger investors can afford to risk being swept up in a market sell-off because they've got years for that slump to be averaged out by more bullish periods. Now, to me, that's an investing attitude and it's not good investing it, it, to me if your assets are falling away in value you exit you get out it's as simple as that uh, and then wait for it so you know in terms of the gfc we had lots of our traders we were out of the market during the gfc not trading and we were getting out and protecting our capital and protecting profits and that's what you got to do first and foremost so i don't believe just because you're young you should ignore those sorts of things you should be out and put your money in when the market's flushed out everybody uh, and then get back into it because you just, if you lose 10% you've got to make 11% to break even if you lose 50 you got to make 100 to break even and right now there are a lot of people that own Telstra over the last 10 plus years and are still not making any money because they didn't get out. Um, he also says conversely investors nearing retirement usually want a lower risk profile and I would agree with that and so would probably do well to speak to a financial advisor about where the current markets have pushed them out too far of their comfort zone. Now to me if you're looking at retirement in the next one or two years you should all and no matter what where you are in the cycle you should always look to minimize your risk in terms of market fluctuations and protecting that downside because too many retirees got absolutely pounded during the GFC because they were highly leveraged they were pushing the envelope with margin lending and all sorts of other things only to enter into retirement with half of what they had before or, or even less in some cases. Some people had lost 70 to 90% of what they had because they were pushing the envelope at the end. You need to push the envelope more at the start of your growth phase rather than at the end. So again, great article. I did I did enjoy reading and I think that the author's got some great um, points in the article. I think we need to go a little bit more deeper, but right now I'm not really worried about the strange share market. Um, or the US share market. So uh, you've been listening to Talking Wealth. I'm Dale Gill. I'm the Chief Analyst here at Wealth. I think good luck, good trading. Take care. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. 
For more information, products and services, and detailed show notes with a transcript for this podcast, head over to wealthwithin.com.au and click on the News and Media tab in the navigation.